morning dealing with sickness. Father, please uh, strengthen her. Give her comfort in Christ today. And uh, Lord, help her to set her mind on things above and to um, be filled with hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Where did life come from? Did it spontaneously emerge from a primordial soup some 3.7 billion years ago on a, on a barren, lifeless earth? Some scientists attribute the origin of life to a lightning strike, or even aliens seeding life on earth, which merely transfers the problem of, of where life began to somewhere else in the solar system, I would point out. But many believe we came from a primitive form of bacteria. But when we read Genesis 1, we learn that life came from one who is self-existent, from one who has life in himself. We learn that we are not the result of a cosmic accident, but that we were created, designed, made by God Himself. Our text this morning comes from Genesis 1 through 2. This is the very beginning of the Bible, and as we'll see, it's the very beginning of all things. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 1 and follow along. I'll be reading the whole two chapters, Genesis 1 through 2. Hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, 
And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, in the seas, And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth, each according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And, man, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. 
and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to hear what these first two chapters of Genesis would teach us. O Lord, speak to our hearts this morning through your word. Help us, Father. Sustain faith in us. Create faith in us. Lord, Help me to speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of water. Ah, what a gift. So as we survey these first two chapters of Genesis, we learn that because God is the source of all life, the source of all good, and the Lord of all things, we owe Him obedient worship. Those will be our our three points this morning. God is the source of all life, point one. Second, God is the source of all good. And lastly, God is the Lord of all things. So first, God is the source of all life. We read in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. The Hoover Dam near Las Vegas, Nevada, just out of curiosity, have any of you been to the Hoover Dam? All right, a few of us. Uh, It took around five years to build. A total of 21,000 men worked on the dam, and they needed 4,360,000 cubic yards of concrete. That's enough to pave a highway 16 feet wide 
from San Francisco on, on one side of America all the way across to New York City on the other. It's a lot of concrete. 96. That's the official number of workers that lost their lives working on the Hoover Dam. 96. The dam itself is an amazing feat of muscle and brain power, of humans taking metal and concrete and stopping a river, supplying electricity and water to millions. And as amazing as the Hoover Dam is, consider the power that created all things from nothing. God didn't need thousands of laborers and millions of pounds of materials. He created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. God merely speaks a word, issues a verbal command, and light shines out of darkness. God speaks, and the seas are divided from the dry land. God speaks, and redwoods and cedars spring up from the dirt. God speaks and empty oceans swarm with great white sharks and humpback whales and squid and schools of fish. God speaks and the silent skies are filled with singing birds, robins and sparrows and eagles. God speaks and the motionless ground begins to swarm with ants, foxes, lions, deer and horses. Christian, be encouraged this morning that the same one who said, let there be light, also said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter how dark the world seems, God's church will be built. It will continue. It will overcome. Christian, this same God has, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.6, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let this encourage us that no heart is too dark for God. Let's share the gospel with hope and confidence, knowing that the same God who illuminated our dark hearts and said, let there be light so long ago, can shine with the light of his gospel in the hearts of others, no matter how engulfed in darkness they seem to be. God is the source of all life. God is the source of human life. It's because of this that we have meaning and hope. Dr. Owen Strand, in his book, Reenchanting Humanity, writes, in a Darwinian framework, speaking of Charles Darwin, Mankind is not made or formed by any higher intelligence. Man has no purpose. There is no one to whom we may pray. No reason to be thankful for anything. And no hope at all of ultimate peaceful resolution. In such a system, hope itself has no logical basis. Neither does positivity, love, nor confidence in anything. There is only the world. And in the world, there is only the law of the jungle. If there appears to be wonder and beauty in the cosmos, it's only atoms colliding, symptomatic of nothing greater, nothing higher, 
And yet many who say there is no God live as though there is meaning to life. They love their children. They work hard. They sacrifice their own interests for no discernible gain. And the reason for such behavior, friends, is that mankind is made in the image of God. We are not dust in the wind. We are not mere atoms colliding. We are not the products of chance. We are image bearers. God made us. We read in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that God made mankind, male and female, in His own image. Now, this does not mean that we are part of God. Very clearly, we are creation, and God is the creator. He is God, we are not. But God made us to reflect His glory. As a painted portrait of someone is not that person, but it does reflect something of them. Like God, we think and reason. We are creative and relational. And we are made to be God's vice rulers on earth. As God said to man, take dominion of the earth. He even brought the animals to Adam to name. God didn't name everything. He allowed man to do that. And in verse 28, that's, where, that's what we see in verse 28. And though we are now fallen and sinful, human beings are still made in the image of God. We read in James 3.9, for example, it says, speaking of how we sin with our words, James laments that we use our tongues to curse people, listen to this, who are made in the likeness of God. You see, this is one of the reasons why it's so wrong to mistreat other human beings. That person bears the image and likeness of God. And when you do that, when you mistreat a person made in the image and likeness of God, it's an insult to God Himself. This also means that racism, any notion of superiority over others based on heritage or skin color, is evil. Acts 17.26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind. This means that the Iranian is as much in the image of God as the American. Blacks and whites both share in the image of God. Mexicans and Marshallese, Chinese and Russians, all share this same dignity made in God's image. And so let us guard the way we speak of other people groups and the way we think of them and treat them, lest we be found to speak against the God who made them in His image. God is the source of all life. We see, secondly, that God is the source of all good. In the world as God originally created it, it was good. There was no cancer. There was no coronavirus. There was no arthritis or Alzheimer's. Everything was good. God was able to say at the end of the day in verse 6, it is very good. God not only gave life and breath but He blessed His creation. He blessed them with purpose, with sustaining food and a variety of it. All these thousands of trees that God said that they could eat of, with clean water, there was that that river flowing out of Eden that divided, there was plenty of clean water. God gave them the good gift of marriage, companionship, 
with each other. And, and God not only gave them each other, but God gave them himself. God created man to be in a relationship with him. Notice in, in verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And God said to them. God spoke with His people, communicating His good pleasure with them and His good plans for them. To the Christian in the room, you who have trusted Christ, I'm sure you recognize different needs in your life. Do you recognize God as the source of all good? Do you recognize Him as the one who not only cares for you, but has the power to meet your needs and has the wisdom to know when to meet your needs? He cares for you. Remember that He has already met our greatest possible need in the most generous way imaginable. He didn't withhold His only Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. Jesus willingly gave his very life to give you and I back ours. See the generosity of our Lord as he hung there dying in your place to rescue you from eternal hell. Brothers and sisters, he cares. He has already been and will continue to be abundantly generous to us. God originally made the world good, but our sin brought a curse on all creation, which brings us to our last point. God is Lord of all creation. God is Lord of all creation. Naturally, as the Creator, God owns everything. It's His. He can do with it as He pleases. We see this in the way that God names the day and the night. He divides the light from the darkness. We see in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He also defined man's place and purpose in creation. God has the right to define human sexuality, and He does so, male and female. God defines marriage, one man and one woman. Now, if there is no God, as many in our culture imagine, then who is to say that we can't define ourselves? Some think that, quote, humanity is a blank slate with no script for existence beyond mere impulse and desire. We can define ourselves. If I want to be a woman, then who's to say I can't? That is the spirit of our age. But the scriptures reveal a God who made us who designed us as male or female and designed marriage as a union between one man and one woman. God defines us as Lord of all creation. Not far from here in southeast Missouri in the year 1813, back when the terrible institution of slavery was still in our land, there was a black man named named Dick who was enslaved to Judge Green. Dick had been attending Bethel Baptist Church, and God had converted him. But Judge Green, hearing about this and being a staunch atheist, forbid Dick from being baptized. He threatened to whip Dick 
and sue the men who had baptized him. Thus the matter went on for about three months after Dick's conversion. But he, he still attended Elder Thompson's meeting. Elder Thompson was the pastor of Bethel Church. And finally, Dick asked to be baptized. Mr. Thompson said, Why, are you not afraid of your master? To which Dick replied, I got two masters. One is greater than the other. My great master says to be baptized, and I wish to obey him. And so he was baptized. Thus, brothers and sisters, remember who your great master is. All of us have different bosses and authorities that are over us, whether it be the government or our bosses at work. But always remember who your great master is. Thankfully, none of us are enslaved as Brother Dick was, but still all of us are under authorities. But when those authorities conflict, we must obey God rather than man. We must not compromise. Unlike Judge Thompson, who ruled another man in a sinful way, in a way he had no right to, God is our creator, and he truly does own us. He rules over us, and he is our Lord. Unlike Judge Thompson, God is a good and yet a just God. God gave us our very breath, and he does have the right to take it away. God has, set the, has the right to set boundaries for his people and penalties if those boundaries are transgressed. And that brings us to God's command in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. If you'll look there, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God blessed the people he made. He gave them thousands of trees and and different fruits to enjoy. But there was one that was off limits. God wooed them with dazzling goodness which surrounded them on every side. But with one lone tree, he would test their love for him and their trust in him. As one pastor wrote, one lone tree... And one lone warning would stand as a sentinel against trusting self more than trusting God. Consider the warning. God loved his people, but he warns them that he's prepared to take away the life he'd given them if they rebel against him. He lets them know that there is something more important to him than even their lives. And that, friends, is his glory. It will not be trampled on with impunity. To eat of this forbidden fruit would be a defiant act of rebellion on Adam and Eve's part. It would be to say, God is not good. God is not to be trusted. God has withheld from us something that we should have. And God takes that very seriously. But God gave them a choice. 
Yes, he gave them every reason to trust him and to love him, and a really big reason not to eat of that tree. But still, they would have the freedom to trust God or to distrust God. Trusting obedience would bring life. Unbelief and disobedience would bring death. Those were God's terms for our first parents. As Matthew Henry noted, when God had given man a dominion over the creatures, he would let them know that still he himself was under the government of his creator. All of us have followed our first parents. They they did choose to rebel against God, and all of us have followed in their footsteps. We have all sinned and broken God's law. The world we live in today is very different from the good world that God originally created. We've all chosen to live for self rather than for God, to trust our own hearts and our own desires above God's good will for us. When we sin, we act as our own gods. We reject God's plan. We reject His revealed will and His word. We sin by doing that which He's forbidden and by not doing that which He's commanded us. We do that which He's forbidden. We, we lie. Drunkenness. Speaking harshly to others. Complaining. Slandering. And we fail to do that which He's commanded us. When we don't thank and praise God for who He is and for what He's given us. In spite of all of our sin, God still allows us to breathe His air. We're still standing on this side of hell. We're not in hell. God has given us opportunity to be forgiven. How often do we thank God for His blessings? We don't use our, our time and our money for God's glory first and foremost. I mean, what's our first thought with our free time, with the resources we have? Is it to bless our neighbor? Is it to bless, uh, to, to honor God? Or is it to just be consumed on our, own, on our own selves? We fail to forgive those who have hurt us. Instead of being God-centered, we've been self-centered. And this is at the heart of our sin. Because we were made for God to worship and adore Him. And instead, we live for self. In our sinful pride, we count ourselves more significant than others. We look out for our own interests rather than the interests of those around us. We sin every day, don't we? We sin in more ways than we even realize. And it's more serious than we even know. And God is clear with us, as He was with our first parents, that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Separation from God under His wrath in a place where there is no exit sign in a place called hell. And God warns us because He loves us. 
But because God has promised us that the wages of sin is death and that we have sinned, we will die. Unless there is one who would stand in our place and die for us. And there was such a one who obeyed perfectly where we have failed to obey. He never sinned, and yet he was numbered with the transgressors. As Isaiah the prophet predicted, and though he was obedient, he died for the disobedient, so that we might live. If you are here and you're not a Christian, I urge you to turn from self-trust and to trust in the only God who made you, who became one of us, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that it would take an eternity for us to die. He died for our sins. Turn from your rebellion. Turn from your self-centeredness. Ask God to give you a new heart. Come to Him for forgiveness. He will not cast out any who come to Him. Submit your, your life to Him as the rightful Lord that He is. Do you believe that? That He is the rightful Lord of your life? God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or they would surely die. But many thousands of years later, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Adam and Eve rejected God in order to seek a better life than God had given them. And they died. Jesus left the glory of heaven, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He obeyed the Father in every way and gave his flesh on the cross, dying and rising from the dead so that we could live forever with him as we were meant to from the beginning. And He invites you to receive the life He died to give. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there are any in this room who do not know You, Lord, who are still in rebellion against You, You're our rightful Lord and ruler and owner, our King and Creator. Lord, that they would see the end of that, that they would turn, that they would hear Your loving warning, that they would be saved. Father, sustain our faith, Lord. Encourage the believers here. Lord, help us to remember the One who gave Himself for us. Let that, let that move us to give ourselves for others. To live our lives not for ourselves, but for You and for our neighbor. Help us, Lord. And we look forward to the day when we again will see You face to face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you stand?